Hello and welcome to The Construction Revolution, the podcast that's leading the charge for change in the construction industry. I'm Maria Coulter, The Construction Coach, and I'm on a mission to bring positive lasting change. As an industry, we're crying out for greater profit margins, cash that actually flows, a more diverse and inclusive culture. We need companies to value themselves and their people. We need greater leadership. We need teams that trust each other and less stress. Oh, and we also have the small matter of the skills gap to solve as well. During this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to pioneers from within our industry who are doing things differently to solve these issues. I'm also going to be bringing you fresh ideas and perspectives from outside of the industry to inspire and guide you in bringing about some much needed change. As Henry Ford said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. It's time for a revolution. Are you ready to join me? Hello, I'm Maria Coulter and thank you for listening to episode two of The Construction Revolution. Our guest today is Kevin Murray. So I'd like to welcome Kevin Murray to the Construction Revolution podcast. Um, I really appreciate you giving your time up today, Kevin, to talk to us. Um, Kevin specialises in helping leaders to be more effective and inspiring. And you've been advising leadership teams for about three decades and you've worked across a wide uh, range of sectors. And you've also, you, I know that you coach leaders, but you've also helped them with significant change programs as well. Um, but you're also the author of best-selling books. So there's the language of leaders, communicate to inspire. There's people with purpose, which is the one that led me to reach out to you today. And um, you've also got a new book that's coming out imminently, which will probably be out now when we release the podcast, which is called Charismatic Leadership. Correct. Correct. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, I was talking to you before we, we came on live with the podcast um, about how I found you. Um, mm. So I was Googling purpose, leadership, um, and I came across your book, People with Purpose, which I'm reading and I absolutely love. And I just think it's something that as an industry, we really need to, to think about and focus on. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about how would you define purpose? Mm. Well, <laughs> all the work I've done with companies shows me that people get very confused between the words purpose and vision and mission and and they actually uh, use those words in a way that um, mixes them all up and I believe they all have a different meaning and they are um, really about trying to achieve different things. So for example, for me a purpose statement is a statement about why you exist um, and that's distinct from what you want to achieve, which is more a vision statement. And then a mission is a description of your services to me. Um, the problem is that most companies have never even thought about trying to define what they mean when they use the word purpose or when they use the word vision. So ideally, a, a purpose statement would define why are we here? Why do we exist? What are we trying to do? And in it would be... Um, a lot of focus on customer benefit. The best purpose statements always have a very strong customer benefit. 
um, a vision is more about how well do we want to do at doing what we do. Um, and usually it has a defined time scale to it, five years, 10 years time. And um, that is where you start quantifying things. You know, we want to be number one in the market or we want to achieve 500 million profit or we want to have a 30% market share. If you have numbers in your purpose statement, then it isn't a purpose statement. So that, that's how I define the differences. And then of course, the other word that has to go with all of this is values. Yeah. Um, because the perfect, none of them function uh, without each other. So they all are interdependent. So ideally you need to have purpose and values um, and vision all working together. And values define not what you're going to do, but how you're going to do what you do. So you've got, here's what we do, here's how well we want to do what we're going to do, and here's how we do what we do, all working together. And when you do that well, with a little bit of um, creative writing as well, you can uh, find it hugely inspirational. M most mission and vision and purpose statements I see are deathly dull statements of the blindingly obvious, and they do nothing to inspire anybody. I think, I mean, the big challenge is a lot of these, a lot of these companies don't actually have them in the first place. I mean, mm. I did a, a guest lecture at a university um, a while back and it was about big organizations and um, it was about the sort of business models and things like that. And, um, and I did some research and I was looking at some of, some of the big companies in the construction industry and you look at their websites and they were just so dull like they didn't seem to have any visible values they might be buried somewhere but there wasn't anything like mm. in your face there wasn't mm. any clear sense of purpose it was like oh we are a multidisciplinary organization yeah exactly right yeah statements of the blindingly obvious uh let me give you an example of of what i always thought was a really good one um it has to do with a men's clothing store in in the uk um and you might think, well, our purpose is to provide men with suits um, and we want to be the number one suit supplier in the UK, possibly the world, uh, supplying more suits to more men than any other suit supplier. <laughs> well, that's pretty dull. This company came up with a purpose statement that said, our purpose is to make men feel amazing. Yeah. And those few words had a massive impact on the culture of the company because every salesperson now knew their job wasn't to sell a suit. It was to sell somebody a huge uh, pick-me-up in their self-image and to make them feel great about themselves in the way they looked. And that uh, changed the way they approached customers and it changed everything. And you can see that one was um, inspiring in the way it was expressed. Uh, and uh, it didn't have the word suit in it and it didn't have any numbers in it. Uh, the numbers were contained in their vision statement and um, and their values expanded on how would they go about making men feel amazing. Um, so it, it, I hope that illustrates how well these things can work if you do it the right way. It does. And I mean, that immediately, it kind of, you get that emotion. You can, yes. you can see that kind of, you know, if a, a man's walking into a shop and um, he, he wants to sort of feel great because he's got like a big occasion sort of coming mm. up and you know you can see that 
um, mm. and, and how somebody would give them that great experience of mm. getting the suit and giving them sort of, you know, the attention they need to find the right thing, etc. Yes. Like it, it stirs up the emotions. Exactly. Um, and that's a really good point because good purpose statements are emotional. Yeah. Um, if your statement is really just a dull description of what you do, and it doesn't move your emotions, well, then it's not a very good purpose statement. Uh, it must be powerfully emotional. It must move people's souls. It must make your customers feel good and it must make your own people feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my clients, um, their purpose statement, um, they're a small company, but their purpose statement does provoke emotion, I think. And I think it's something like, we take your dreams and stamp them on the land for, oh, for everyone to see. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of get that sense of yeah. well, you've got a dream, you've got a vision that you want this house and, and you can you know, make we're it concrete. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, because like, I think there's a definite disconnect between people who build buildings and then the fact that we're actually all part of the built environment. Yes. So like, you know, where we're sitting right now, um, the roads, you know, all of the buildings around us are part of the built environment. Yes. And I think people, you know, they, they, they seem to sometimes disconnect from that, the fact that we all, we're all part of this. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you another example. I was working with a brewing company who were running into many of the same issues I think your industry is facing, which is a huge emphasis on cost cutting, uh, efficiency drives, uh, lowest price wins sort of environment, which isn't very inspiring to live mm. and work in. But um, they understood that actually beer wasn't just about the craft of brewing a great beer. Beer was about wonderful moments of celebration, of togetherness, of happiness. And they also knew that to survive, they needed to brew a great more number of types of beers to appeal to a wider demographic and we worked on their statement and came up eventually with a five-word statement that changed everything for them and it said to brew more great moments uh -huh. um, and for the um, for the craftsmen brewing the beer they understood it meant brew great beers but more more different kinds of great beers and to the marketers distributing the beers you know realize you need to appeal to a wider range of people now with the beers, not just for men gathered around a TV watching sport. It, it's for all kinds of ages and genders, and we need to appeal to that audience. So that one five-word purpose statement uh, changed the whole attitude of the company to realize more about what it was they were really there to do. So if yeah. you find yourself just describing what you do, that to me is a mission statement, and you need mm -hmm. that. But if you describe the ultimate benefit that you're bringing to the people you serve, um, not what you do, the benefit you bring to them, then you'll get closer to a meaningful purpose statement. Yeah, definitely. So if, if companies are thinking about, because I mean, we build buildings for people, you know, whether yeah. it's a school, whether it's a, a factory, a road, a hospital, a house, it's all for people mm. to sort of, to create a better environment for them to have sort of better living experiences, experiences working yeah. experiences, yeah. etc. So in other words, think about the experience that you're going to create and see if there isn't a purpose statement in the experience you deliver, not in the fact that you're building a building. Yeah, 
And I was thinking about this as well um, before the interview, because I think one of the challenges that we've got um, as an industry is that you've got a company. So obviously the company will employ all sorts of different people. So you'll have um, a company that employs project managers, quantity yeah. surveyors, you'll have yeah. architectural companies, engineers. Yeah. Yeah. But they all kind of come together um, yes. to form a team to build yeah. a building. So they come from their organizations Yes. and they form a, almost like a virtual organization to build a building. Well, uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but I, I heard about the idea of rather than trying to say I'm a stonemason or I make windows or I am a bricklayer, um, we're all here to build the cathedrals for people to worship uh, in and uh, by providing the bricklaying or by providing the windows or by providing the stone masonry, I'm helping to build a cathedral. So the key is that all these different people who have different roles are able to describe how what they do helps to deliver the purpose. I'll tell you a story. The most famous story of this is um, John F. Kennedy back in the 60s saying, by the end of this decade, we will land a man on the moon and bring him home safely. And that became uh, NASA's um, uh, mission. And it uh, was hugely galvanizing to the organization. And Kennedy went to visit the space center where he bumped into a janitor and he said to the janitor, what do you, what do, you do here? And the janitor said, I'm helping to land a man on the moon. Um, but the obvious question then was, well, but how? And the janitor said, well, by keeping our restrooms clean, making them places that our astronauts want to be, giving them a haven when they've had a grueling day training, um, I can help keep their morale up. And by keeping their morale up, I'm helping to land a man on the moon. So he was able to describe exactly how what he did right down on the front line contributed to the overall purpose of the organization. And that's where many organizations fall down because they have, they might have a great purpose and vision and a good set of values, but people in the organization don't know them or they think they're just empty words on a poster on the wall. And therefore they haven't really embedded it into the organization and they've missed a massive trick because that's very liberating and empowering. And it creates something called discretionary effort, which means people give more effort willingly than that which they're simply contracted to do because they uh, are emotionally um, empowered by the purpose. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I found um, really interesting at the beginning of the book was when you talk about neuroscience, because mm. I think a lot of people in the industry, they kind of think about values and purpose and vision mm. and all sorts of things. They think it's all fluffy stuff. Um, and it absolutely isn't. But what really kind of backs that up is when you talked about the neuroscience mm. and the, the impact that purpose has on the chemicals in the brain. So can mm. you tell me a little bit more? A little about bit that? Yeah. Yes, just to pick up a little bit on what you first said there, which is that these soft words uh, around purpose have hard results in business numbers. So, you know, they're not uh, empty, meaningless things. They are significant contributors to business success. The stats say that um, in companies where they have 
galvanizing purpose statements, employee satisfaction is higher and that tra translates into um, customer quality and customer loyalty. Customer loyalty trade, trades into um, more money and more revenues. And um, ultimately all of that translates into much higher uh, profitable performance. So you can't ignore that. How people feel determines how well they perform. And um, there is a direct link between the soft and fluffy issues and the hard bottom line outputs that um, organizations have. And, and the reason, as you point out, is this whole idea of neurochemistry. Um, I came across this because I was taken to uh, have a lunch at a, a jail by a friend of mine. There are restaurants in jails in the UK uh, which have the name The Clink. And these Clink restaurants are run by the prisoners. And um, it was an extraordinary experience having this uh, lunch served by food grown, um, cooked and served by uh, prisoners. And um, at the end of it, I, I asked, well, why are you doing this? And they said, well, in these prisons, we have a reoffending rate of 66% within three months of leaving the prison. But among the people doing this clink restaurant program, it's only 6%. Uh, so the, the program had a massive transformative effect on these prisoners. And I became intrigued as to uh, what was that about. Able, we, we, so I spoke to neurochemists and asked them what's happening in the brains of these prisoners that enable them to make such a terrific transformation. And they told me it was because um, of the neurochemicals that govern our, our thinking and our behaviors and our physiology. You'll have heard of some of these things like adrenaline, serotonin, uh, cortisol. These are all the neurotransmitters that uh, are the chemical messengers of the brain. We have billions of neurons in our brain, but they don't actually touch each other. The, the way messages spread around the brain are through these chemical transmitters that travel from one neuron to another. And, and it's these that determine our mood and determine our uh, physiology and the way we feel and determine our uh, ability to perform. So leaders need to understand a lot more about um, neurochemistry and the powerful effects, both positive and negative, that they can have on people because in effect they're actually having an effect on their brain chemistry. One neuroscientist explained to me that we have two operating planes, if you like. Um, the one is whether we feel worthy or unworthy. And the other is whether we are moving away from danger or toward reward. And if you feel both unworthy and in danger, um, your neurochemistry will be terrible and your performance will be equally terrible. Your behaviors will be bad. Uh, you'll feel paranoid, you'll feel suspicious of everybody, you won't trust anyone. Um, and all of these are the consequence of the chemicals in your brain. Now, you can imagine a prisoner feels pretty unworthy and pretty, uh, pretty much in a dangerous situation. But employees feel exactly the same way. If they feel their job is threatened or if they feel that this job isn't going well and they're going to be punished or cut, they're going to be in exactly the same place. They're going to feel unworthy and they're going to feel in danger.
and then to them it's very very real and has a powerful effect on all their brain chemicals if however you feel worthy your boss praises you recognizes you appreciates you listens to you is interested in your views makes you feel very valuable to the organization and you're moving towards a reward which is um, to do something great to develop yourself to earn more money whatever that reward is your brain chemistry is now going to be very powerful and very sustainable because you'll have all the right neurochemicals at work you'll have um, chemicals like uh, oxytocin which is called the trust drug give somebody a hug and you'll give them a surge of oxytocin um, a lot of oxytocin in newborn uh, babies and mothers um, so oxytocin is something that leaders want to develop in their teams because teams who trust each other perform better uh, they collaborate better they debate and and uh, have more powerful dialogue they're more innovative and creative and isn't that what we all want so a long answer to your short question i'm afraid but it's quite a complex subject and um, i think the takeaway for most leaders should simply be when you are dealing with your um, employees you're having an impact on their brain chemistry and it needs to be a positive one for them to be able to give of their best to your business um, if you treat them badly or leave them feeling in doubt if you don't talk with them if you appear to be angry all of those things will have a negative effect on them that they cannot control yeah i mean that makes so much sense and it just it gets me thinking a lot because um you know you talk about fear there's so much fear in the construction industry and mm. i think a lot of that is driven by this whole kind of race to the bottom on cost the mm. fact that people are competing um the profit margins are terrible i mean um i think you know the, the numbers are released um every year by the construction news magazine and it, i think it said it talks about like the top 10 um contractors and i'm pretty sure that the average profit margin was something like 1.5 percent and one yeah. year i think the average profit margin was actually a negative figure so <laughs> that translates yeah. into a loss yeah exactly yeah. and um yeah 1.5 is a wafer thin margin and the slightest variation in market conditions um can tip you into loss straight away so yeah it's a yeah. perilous perilous place to be it is and and you know you've got all of these kind of um behaviors and things like that that have of the they keep sort of repeating themselves so if you've got um a client who's only ever looking at the bottom line and saying well you know i just want to go with the lowest price you've got contractors who are competing based on that basis and then they're thinking oh well okay so if I, if i go in at this figure um i think i'll get it but then i'll just try and claw money back mm. either by um the very term of endearment called screwing the subcontractors yeah yeah um, or, um, you know, sort of trying to, to get more variations in costs. So yes. we've, got, we've got these, you know, behaviours that kind of have been around for a long time and, and that does create like a lack of trust and, and poor behaviour as well because, you know, you've got subcontractors who don't trust the contractors that they're working with. You've got a lack of trust between the client and the contractor and, you know, and it, it sounds like it's just setting off all of these, uh, these sort of chemicals, basically, these neurochemicals. 
and well it, yes absolutely but i mean you can understand how people get into this position and why they behave the way they do when it's such a competitive and low cost environment um and as soon as you get into some defensive behaviors those will inevitably spiral downwards and you'll have a uh, a um series of consequences which will generally lead you in the wrong direction i think all my research showed that companies that were purpose driven and values driven tended to outperform the other companies they they created greater customer loyalty they were able to charge a higher margin they were able to um attract the best suppliers and um that was all because they were uh, quality driven organized that, that doesn't mean high cost but it did mean quality and passion um, to deal with uh, some of these challenges that no doubt they do have I think construction is not the only industry to face these same market conditions pretty much um, most organizations are facing the same conditions in one way or other now we're going through a period of dramatic change in the digital revolution we're facing with the arrival of 5G and the internet of everything and um, connected uh, everything, e everything will be connected. So there will be a dramatic transformation, artificial intelligence, robotics, taking jobs away. So we're going through a time of massive change everywhere and to one extent or another, everyone is in the same place. In, in the conditions you describe the problem is um, that often this that the first thought is not about delivering a quality job it's about surviving so, and trying to make even a little bit of profit out of a pretty demanding set of circumstances when you have so many variables at play um, somebody's late in delivering something and that impacts on your ability to do it on time and that impacts on your price and that impacts on your subcontractors and wow, suddenly you're in a terrible place because of something that was completely out of your control. The problem is though, that if you let the, the um, sense of purpose and quality and passion wane and start getting panicky and worried and take defensive, negative, destructive actions, that will inevitably spiral downwards because it's having an impact on people and they will therefore behave in exactly the same way back to you. you. You, As a leader, you have to lead people away from that to think more about the passion of the job, what they're trying to achieve, why it matters, how can they do it better with what they've got available. Um, and you can't do that if people feel beaten up and um, bludgeoned because they will not give you their creativity. I mean, there's a lot of work happening sort of at high level in the industry because there's there's been all sorts of statistics and graphs showing how behind in productivity we are compared uh, to some of the uh, in other industries. Uh, you know, we, they talk about low productivity, but I honestly, I mean, they're looking at all sorts of things like, you know, like you were saying, the, to the technology, the robotics and, uh, um, and we've got a skill shortage as well. Uh, so you know, we're, we're having difficulty in attracting, you know, the next generation into the uh. industry as well. But I just think that because our industry is all about people, yeah. if companies focus on purpose, 
values, vision, like they're going to get increased productivity by actually focusing on this agenda. And this is going to have positive impacts on their profit margins. So I just think that, you know, yeah, look at the technology and and that's important that we we do that, but you have to look at the people as well. Yes. And that's a very, very good point because we, we can't sit here talking about purpose in an abstract way about purpose alone being transformative for people because purpose is delivered through um, people and it's delivered through managers and it's delivered through the leaders of organizations. So this is about being a, a leader who leads with purpose rather than just having an abstract purpose that is um, shiny and bright and clever and inspiring. So it, it is down to the behaviors of managers. And one of the things that is, uh, I think, a hard truth is that um, this productivity debate is is basically down to poor overall standards of management across British industry. Um, managers are often what they call accidental managers. They're promoted out of what they do very well to a leadership position because they are good at what they do, but they have no training in management. They don't know how to lead people and inspire people. And therefore, in spite of their best intentions, they become um, managers who have a toxic effect. And I think we don't pay enough attention to the soft skills that enable uh, managers and leaders to lead with a great sense of passionate purpose and a strong set of values that um, truly inspire people. And that's the point. You know, it's not about um, wanting to try to become more inspiring. It's about being more capable of actually inspiring the people you lead so that they want to do a great job. They want to go the extra mile to do um, the great job. And that's down to managers. So we mustn't lose sight of the fact that while we're talking about purpose, really this is about better quality managers and leaders. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what you said there really struck a chord about, um, you know, people being promoted because they're technically good at what they do. I mean, you see that all the time, you know, somebody's like a really good um, engineer, really good surveyor, they'll get promoted mm. and, um, and they're just not good managers. But also, I think we've also got, um, we've, in the past, we've definitely had a, um, a pattern, a cycle of, you know, the whole kind of boom and bust mm. cycle, whereby, you know, if times are lean, like when recession hits and things like that, then the first thing that happens is, training and and development Uh, just stops uh, um which means that you know people are kind of they're not getting the support they're not getting the leadership and management training that they need to to bring the best out of other people um uh which is it's a really short-sighted approach i think very very but as you say it's the norm isn't it um Mm. these are the so-called non-essential spends that you can cut back on fully intending to reinstate them when times get better but then funnily enough times never actually get better so you never reinstate them and things just keep getting bad um i I, some of the best performing companies that i went into as i researched this book um what struck me was how much time and effort they put into uh creating strong capable emotionally powerful leaders um, who had very strong soft skills. Um, they could communicate well. They were good listeners. 
they understood the power of passion they had empathy they um were confident and energetic and they they did all the things that made people want to follow them made people want to do a good job um and somehow those managers always found ways around the problems when other um less skilled managers ran headlong into the bear traps that um this sort of environment creates for you mm. so um you know unless we learn to ignite people's passions ignite that natural uh desire we all have to do a good job and to be proud of what we do then we'll never get out of this difficult set of circumstances yeah and how do you become a good leader because one of the um you know in our industry people say oh there is a a lack of sort of great visible leaders and you think mm. well you know the likes of um richard branson and people like mm. that um, like uh we don't seem to have that equivalent in mm. the construction industry but what do you think makes a, a good leader it's interesting you asked that i i went and i interviewed over 120 ceos for my various books and at the end of all of these interviews i would ask them a question which was when you are looking to hire a leader for your leadership team what are you looking for and 120 answers has given me a really good database and what they've said is number 1 um good intellect good intellectual horsepower number 2 the ability to pick the right team and number 3 the ability to inspire um right down the list at some of 7 or 8 i think came domain excellence which meant in other words in the construction industry it would be the experience and expertise around the particular field that you need to be an expert in so that domain excellence came right down the list what they were looking for was leaders who are truly good at leading not necessarily doing what needs to be done uh, of course they needed to understand what needs to be done and have a good view of what good looks like but other people were going to be doing the doing they were going to be doing the job of leading people to a great result so they needed to know more about leadership than they did about the subject matter that they were leading does that make sense it does um, yeah definitely and so the the oddity is, is that the more time you spend creating good leaders the better a result you will have because the job of leadership is to get jobs get things done through others so and yet we don't we just don't spend that time and money so i i say to the leaders i deal with and the leaders i speak to you know if your company isn't doing it for you do it for yourself it will be a good investment in your own career read books um try and do some tests that work out where your skills are um not as good as they ought to be and then read up about how to get better at it because there's a lot of material out there i mean I, i've got four books you could get one of those yeah. but the point is that the stuff is there if you have the desire to do to find it and read it and do something about it yourself and you can and if you do it yourself you'll become a better manager and if you become a better manager you'll uh, grow and develop and succeed and earn more money and do more good things and it'll be a good positive life if you stay one of these accidental managers who never bothers well you'll create a lousy place to work people will leave you won't do a great job or sorry the people you lead won't do a great job 
and inevitably at the end of it, you know, yours won't be a stellar career. So up to you, make that decision. That is such a good point because um, I think sometimes people are waiting for stuff to be given to them. So like, you know, if they're not getting on very well in the management position, you know, it's like, well, I've not had the training, but they're not necessarily thinking, but I could do it myself. You know, yes, I could, exactly. I could, well, doing it myself yeah. means going the extra mile, doesn't it? It means doing yeah. it at home. It means going outside of my working hours to do it. And there's too many other distractions. Um, my family life, my wife, my kids, my husband, my um, obligations to friends and community, you know, whatever it is, there's mm. all these other things. But, you know, you have to make choices in life. If you want to be a good leader and an effective leader and you want to develop your career, make the choice. Mm. Put some yeah. time into becoming a better leader. Definitely. And I mean, I have, you know, I'm working with somebody at the moment um, and she's coming to me for coaching and it's not through her company, mm. but it's because she wants to to do better she wants to um you know be more confident and she's not waiting for anybody to send her on a, a leadership course or anything like that she's exactly she's proactively getting coaching to sort of exactly. help her get to where she wants to be exactly um, yeah i think that's a really good point so i mean in, in in the new book for example um which is all about charisma and and the reason i'm writing about charisma in a business center is because people leaders managers who have charisma get better results from their teams um now most of us think that charisma isn't something that we have or um can attain because we think it's a gift that some people have got and we envy them but we don't think we could replicate it ourselves and my message is that's um that's not that's not true you um charisma is about a set of behaviors and you can learn these behaviors and you can develop your charisma and if as a leader you develop your charisma you will become hugely more um, influential and successful as a leader so charisma matters but the 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 issue is well how do i understand what my charisma is where i'm weak where i'm strong and what i need to do to improve it and so what i did in the new book is I've done um, a self questionnaire, but then I've given to those who dare a, a questionnaire for their employees to ask the employees the same questions that they're answering about themselves. Because the big issue often is we may think we're doing a good job in these areas, but when you talk to our employees, they'll tell you that we're doing a really bad job in some of those areas. And so there's a huge gap between the way we mark ourselves and the way that our employees mark us. And that's where we need to improve. If there's big gaps, what are the gaps about? How do we uh, improve it and narrow the gap so that employees think the same about me as I think about me? And so self-evaluation uh, in a structured way is critically important to be able to understand, well, what soft skills do I need more of? Um, where do I need to put my time and effort? If my time and effort is a precious resource, where do I focus? And that means by doing some self-assessment first. And if you're brave enough, ask your, um, do the classic 360 degree and ask people around you. But ask them all the same questions so that you get the same answers and you can put all that together in a cohesive picture of uh, where you do well and where you do badly. And where do you think that gap comes from? Because I found that interesting, like, because um, I think there was some there was talk in the book about a survey and um, yeah. about the percentages. So the leaders yeah. thought that, yeah, I think I'm 
I think I'm good at this. And then the, the employees were saying, well, well, actually, no, you're not. And there seemed to be quite a big gap between what the leader thought mm. and what the employees' perceptions were. So where does that gap come from? <laughs> Uh, there's lots of reasons for the gaps. Um, one is simply often a lack of self-awareness. Mm. Um, other times it's a different criteria that you're using to judge yourself by. So, for example, I think I'm a good listener because I quickly understand what somebody's telling me. But that person thinks I'm a lousy listener because I keep interrupting and I'm impatient and I don't, feel, I don't make them feel like I've really been interested in what they've had to say. I might have comprehended them, but I, you know, they leave me feeling worse than they came in. Um, so, so it's about subjective views that really matter. Um, and uh, narrowing those gaps becomes um, hugely effective. I think I was um, many, many years ago when I started as a journalist on a newspaper in South Africa, after our daily deadline, which was an intensely pressured um, few hours, we'd stand around the tea trolley joking and laughing with each other. And one of uh, my companions was a gifted mimic. He could mimic people and you'd immediately get who they were and you'd split your sides laughing at him. And on this particular day, he was mimicking somebody and I, I couldn't work out who it was, but everybody else was laughing like mad. And the more I didn't get who it was, the more they were laughing. Until I realized, of course, he was mimicking me. Only he was doing something that I didn't even knew I did. Um, and I, I had a habit in those days when I had a beard of freeing my beard from my shirt collar by a jerk of the chin. And um, I didn't know I did it, but people knew that if I was doing it, I was in thought and the signal was leave me alone because you'll get a bad response. Uh, if you approach me while I'm doing this jerking motion with my chin. So that's the problem for many of us as leaders. We are just completely unaware of the things we do that have a very bad impact on the people who watch us and see us. So you need to get that external assessment because um, we just don't see ourselves in the way that others see us. And you need to, if you want to be a good leader. And I guess thinking as well, going back to, to what you said at the beginning of the, the, the podcast was about talking about um, companies who have got the values on the wall and they never, no. um, they, they're just not embedded. And, no. and I guess it got me thinking about the, the managers as well, because um, quite often you find that there's like a, they call it the middle management blocker. Yeah. So you've got, you've got kind of good stuff happening at the top. You've got yeah. good leaders, um, you've yeah. got a vision, you've got, you've got values but it doesn't it's not filtering down yes to um you know to where it needs to get to so how do you start to turn a ship around if if a company is you know they're saying they've got values um they don't really have a big sense of purpose like mm. how do you start to to bring that change into mm. that company well again that's a very good point because bringing it back to purpose this work i did uh showed that there are lots of top level boards and executive management teams who had done a lot of hard work on purpose and values and vision, but um, only some of those had managed to get it right down to the front line where those people lived and breathed the purpose and the vision and values. So the difference was in the work that was done 
to translate level by level that purpose and make it locally relevant to the individual the further down the company you got. And in the places where the frontline didn't get it, that work simply hadn't been done. Uh, so it's a matter of um, working with teams. And it's not just a communication job because people think communication is, let me tell them 15 times and by then they'll have got it. Uh, and then they walk away and they think, well, why can't they get it? I've told them 15 times. The answer is that, that people need to sit down and reflect and interpret it for themselves. What does this mean for me? How do, how do I make this contribution? What is it that I do that adds to what the, the, the purpose of the organization is? How do I live these values in the things I do? You know, um, if I'm a surveyor or a, an architect or a, a, a bricklayer or a plasterer or a plumber, what is it that I do that contributes to the cathedral? Um, and how do I uh, do it in the way that is consistent with the values of the organization? What does that mean for my behaviors? So it is a simple matter of work and time to get it translated down to the front line. But we come back to your issue of middle management and this blocker layer that people, I hear this phrase a lot, the blocking middle management. Let's just step back to that for a moment and imagine that maybe these managers aren't trying to be blockers. Maybe there's something else going on. Uh, what if we're not spending enough time with the managers to help them and that they're not resisting it, that they just don't know how and we, they need help to be able to do it. A lot of research shows that um, when that middle management cadre is uh, disengaged, that disengagement spreads like wildflower throughout the company because those managers influence so many other people in the organization. So the best companies spend time ensuring that the middle management is on board, uh, that they understand the purpose and the values, that they have translated it for themselves individually and in the teams they lead so that they really, really get it. And when they get it, they will not be blockers. They will be enablers. And so stop thinking them of them as a kind of um, army that is resisting you um, and think of them, well, how do I help them to deliver what it is I would like? And I think that's one of the biggest problems in management now is that uh, middle management needs more help to do these things. Uh, and senior management needs to stop thinking them of as this kind of resistant marzipan layer that they keep talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And what about um, like the balance between, like say if you're a PLC and you've got the shareholders, so you've mm. got the added pressure of mm. the shareholders and things like that. Like how do you kind of take them along the journey as well so that they're not kind of putting pressure on you? So, well, you need to cut this, you need to do that. Yes, yes. No. Well, it is a pressure and I don't think... Uh, it's an easy one for a CEO in a PLC because um, I know that a huge number of companies increasingly are talking about a purpose that is wider than simply providing a return to shareholders because the reality is um, you'll, you'll never uh, provide a return to shareholders if you aren't thinking about other stakeholders first and foremost. If you don't have engaged, satisfied employees who create loyal um, uh, customers, then you cannot pay your shareholders a dividend and make more profit for them. So you have to start putting those customers first. You have to start putting society 
first. You have to create value for um, a wider range of stakeholders than simply uh, dividends for your shareholders. And I think that lots of chief execs are now beginning to understand this and put this higher up uh, on their priority lists. But they do have a challenge, which is that you know shareholders want to return uh, sooner rather than later. So a lot of work is going on to uh, create long-term investors, people who understand uh, that thinking long-term is better than thinking short-term because sometimes short-term thinking can be very destructive um, and counterproductive to their uh, aims and goals. So I know that this whole purpose movement is beginning to focus on this issue and beginning to pay attention to this uh, contradiction, this paradox, which is, yes, of course, we want you to be customer focused, but we still want you to make a lot of profit for me today. Um, and that is a tension that a lot of CEOs have to continue to deal with. But but I think we are making um, inroads here. And I think a lot more organizations are understanding that they have to have a wider purpose than simply making um, profits for shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. But moving from the, the big organizations to the small ones, like the way that the industry is made up is that 96% of the construction industry are SMEs and micro businesses. Uh, uh. And I think it's something like 70 something percent micro businesses. So you, you've got like the big companies who are and the, the employing the subcontractors who then are employing, you've got all these different uh, uh, levels of subcontractors. Uh. Like if you're a small company, how do you start to, how do you build like a purpose-driven uh. company? Like where do you start to, uh. sort of, to bring people along with you? Um, I'm going to use the story of my, golf club, um, which would fit into SME category, employs lots of people, greenkeepers, um, food and beverage staff, uh, administrators, um, uh, golf uh, managers, golf coaches, etc. All, all of these people there to help create a great experience for the members of the club and visitors to the club. And um, we used to have a purpose statement that said we we exist simply to provide uh, great uh, golf courses and um, off course facilities. And you'd say, well, yes, but like, doesn't every golf club exist to do that? What, what makes you different? And we worked on this for some time and we realized that actually the purpose that we really had was to create loyal members and loyal visitors who not only wanted to come back, but who were prepared to go out and advocate us to go and say to other people, you need to go and visit that golf club. You need to um, go and have a wedding there. You need to go and experience coaching there. Because if we did that through the provision of the facilities, then we would um, actually uh, make more money and be able to thrive longer into the future because by creating those loyal customers we um, were guaranteeing revenues and by being focused on those customers in the way that made it really clear our job was to give them a great time and if we weren't we were falling short what did a great time look like for them that meant we had to understand that and in understanding that we could become more responsive to their needs and in becoming more responsive we were likely to create a place in which they really wanted to come and spend more money and spend more time and bring their friends and 
Um, and if that happened, then we would be getting more revenues. And if we had more revenues, we could invest more in a better place and make more profits for our shareholders. And so even in a small business, infusing it with a, uh, a better, more inspiring purpose statement can make a massive difference. But it did mean the board taking a, a couple of days of time, longer than that actually, to think it through. Um, we paid attention also to creating the right values that would help make the purpose true. Um, we wanted to be a more welcoming place. So being welcoming was one of our values, is one of the values. Uh, we felt we had a duty of care to the environment and to people who came to play and work on and uh, visit. Uh, so you see everything we then did. And then we said, okay, if we do that really well, um, how well do we think we could do over the next five to 10 years? And we started imagining how big we could be, how much revenue we could earn, what other facilities we could invest in and build um, should we succeed at delivering our purpose uh, excellently. And then we painted a picture of what we wanted to be in 10 years time. So that all came together, but it was a lot of work from a small team for a small business, but it's having a massive impact on the business and of course, um, in making our members um, uh, friendlier, uh, more satisfied, more willing to come, more willing to um, bring their friends and relatives. So it's having an impact and it's a yeah. positive business impact because we spent the time creating the soft words that are having a definite hard result. Yeah, definitely. That makes such good, you know, such sense. And I think it's a great way to sort of um, to, to finish the podcast because immediately I'm thinking about, I mean, I, when I do work with my clients, I get them to think about their vision and I get them to think about their purpose. But really, the purpose is the absolute nucleus of, yes. of what, you, what you're doing. And I think sometimes people struggle to see what the vision could be. If things are going wrong, Yes. And if they're not, if they're, you know, if they're not getting the clients, if they're making mistakes, if clients aren't happy, they can't see how they could get to the vision. So they can't connect to that. Yes. But if they really connect to the purpose and think, right, this is our purpose. We're here to give a fantastic customer experience to our clients. This is how we're going to do it. You know, these are the values that, that we've got. Mm. Um, and, and this is how we're going to deliver it. Then you get mm. the nucleus right and then you can think, right, I'm getting the nucleus right. I'm, I'm making profit. Um, it's, it's having a positive impact. My clients are happy. They're recommending me. Okay, so, right, what can we do next? Where can we go with this? Yes. And I can tell you that that nucleus of a very good purpose statement, I said to you, needs to be customer focused. Mm. There are cases I came across where the companies tested their purpose statement on customers there was an energy company that I'm referring to who said their purpose was to help their customers use less energy. Customers didn't like that idea at all. They didn't want to be told they had to use less energy. So they did some workshops with customers um, saying, well, we've invented all this technology that helps you to be more fuel efficient. How do we express that? And they said, well, we don't mind you telling us how we can waste less energy because that's good for both of us. Um, it makes us feel good about the environment. It makes us feel good in our pockets. And you can then use that as your um, USP because you're helping us through technology to waste less energy. 
So they changed their purpose statement because it was more in line with what their customers wanted. So if these um, clients of yours want to think about it, they really need to think about it and make sure that their purpose, their core essence, actually delivers a benefit that customers recognize and want. Mm, absolutely. And that's the same across, you know, across every, you know, all kind of size companies and organizations, isn't it? It is. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been such an inspirational um, conversation. You've given me so much to think about, and I'm sure that people listening to this will already be starting to think about how can they bring some of these principles um, into their business. So thank you very much for that. My great pleasure. A big thank you to Kevin Murray for sharing his insights. I got so much from this episode, clearing up the confusion between purpose, vision and mission, the neuroscience of purpose and the impact good and bad leadership has on our brain chemistry. I hope it's got you thinking about your purpose and if you're a leader or a manager, how you ignite it in others. If you want to find out more about Kevin, check out www.leadershipcommunication.co.uk or you can see him on Twitter at Kevin Murray. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and rating to make it easier for others to find us on the podcast charts. Next week, we're going to be talking to Jamie Ward, Managing Director of The Best Little Building Company, all about building a company based on values. See you next time.